Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Roker Report podcast in association with the Sun Community Soup Kitchen. It's Gav back after Sunderland's. 2-1 home defeat at the hands of Sheffield United. And uh, joining me for this very, um, we'll see it quick, we'll probably be here for an hour, Chris, <laughs> no one else, uh, is uh, Chris. Hey, mate. Uh, yeah, I'm not bad, I'm not bad. Reasonably happy after a defeat, which is which is bizarre. I mean, don't get us wrong, I'm not happy, but it's not a Stoke defeat. So it's no. not, it's not going to no. be that. It's not going to be that sort of conversation, which at least is a blessing. No, I, I, I said this last night. The reactions just, I think when you lose a game, you want to come away from it feeling like you could see what we were trying to achieve. And like that was the difference for me between this and, like, say, a Stoke. Because the Stoke game, you, you've seen the result coming a mile off. A probably, probably better comparison might be maybe Coventry or, or Rotherham, where I came out of those games and I just, some of the decision making and stuff and the team selection and what have you, I couldn't understand. And that's why I was really frustrated. Where with this one, I can see what we were trying to do in the game. I think, obviously, and we'll come on to this, but, uh, you know, it's probably a different result if the officials do their jobs. And that's all we're talking about, really, coming out of the game is is that. And to be honest, if you're Tony Mowbray, you're probably glad as well, though, because it takes a little bit of pressure off the players. It gives us something to take into the next game with a bit of bite, you know, because we're probably frustrated by the result, but not by our own performance necessarily. So, yeah, I don't feel particularly disheartened by the fact we got beat. I mean, you do have to remember who they are. I know that they've not been in fantastic form recently, but the second in the table up until probably three, four weeks ago. They were right up against Burnley in terms of the points. It was literally them two pulling away. Nobody else was getting near them. And the importance of this game, really, from their perspective, was they needed to win because they've got Borough breathing down their necks. So this was a massive game for Sheffield United. They, they knew they needed to win it because mm. they, the, the pressure is on them to keep Borough away. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not disheartened. I could sit and, and pick at certain performances and aspects of the performance. And I know a lot of fans did after the game last night. But I, I just think, as a general opinion that we can sort of move on quickly from this one. I don't feel like there's anything to really mull over, particularly for more than a couple of days, and we'll just move on to the next game. And, you know, maybe that's the the buffer that this um, 50-odd point mark has provided us now. We haven't got particularly much pressure on us now going into the end of the season, and it's just a case of the games like against the likes of Sheffield United, Norwich, Luton, we can play with a bit more freedom without worrying and looking over our shoulders. That's what I was thinking after the game. 
there's so many positives to take from this game. And I, and I actually think Tony Mowbray will use this game as let's look at it as a positive and let's look at the game, look at what we did so well. Because, I mean, for the first time, I think this season, I looked at Tony Mowbray on the sidelines and I looked at how the game was going at certain points and looked at the Sheffield United team and there was real periods where they just penned us in and they just looked stronger and and all this and we were trying to hold out and we were doing as well as we and we were battling you know the, the players were battling like you know mm-hmm. same as the Norwich game really they, they carried on from where they left off at Norwich but for the first time I looked at Tony Mowbray and some of his expressions on the sideline and I actually thought I can understand his position because he's got this t- he has and, and look we've said it a lot but actually the, the realisation kind of hit home during the game against Sheffield United that when you looked at him sometimes he had his head in his hands he had his hand over his eyes and he was kind of just rubbing his face <laughs> and I just thought I get it he's got this squad of kids and at times in that game that you just saw Sheffield United was so much stronger than us they were just yeah they had that experience they had that nous they had that Tony Mowbray at times the amount of league games he played he was tearing his hair out because he could see these young lads making those mistakes and he's mm-hmm. he, you know he hasn't got these players where he hasn't got a midfield full of players the equivalent of Danny Barton midfield who's going to be your general and get their foot in and all this I mean if you see you know they had the two lads from Man City um, in midfield Doyle and McAtee and Burge as well and you could just see that at times we were kind of describing it in certain periods of the game as men against boys and it was, and we were we had to battle so much. Mishu came off late in the game, and he was battered and bruised. He'd been kicked all over the place, and you could his facial expression. There was once he got injured on the far side. He just looked like he wanted to stay on the floor because he was just <laughs> he was that battered and bruised off the game. Yeah. But yeah, it just it just kind of hit me last night that you've got this side who were just learning, and they're they're just kids, and they're playing first team football for the first time, and to go in with a game, you know, under the cosh as well, to come out of that kind of first, what was it, first 10, 15 minutes of just Sheffield United pinning us in. You know, we we got off to a good start, but they pinned us in. To get out of that period and then turn it around after half an hour and score the first goal of the game, I mean, that that showed so much guts from this team because they're they're just a bunch of kids. And Sheffield United, as we saw in periods last night, are just a bloody good side. They're a really yeah. good team. They've got so many good players. Yeah. When you, yeah, I was look I'm just looking at the team now and notwithstanding the, the starting eleven, on the bench they've got John Fleck, who's played Premier League football, Chris Basham, who's played Premier League football, Ollie McBurney, I think they paid like fifteen million for him. He's had a fantastic season. I think he's been one of the best strikers in the league. Billy Sharp has played at every level, scored goals. Ollie Norwood's probably their best player. You know, looking at the rest of the team, he's probably been their best player this season. Uh, Bogle, who normally plays right wing back, came on at some point. Like that was their bench. Then you look at the team. You know, Egan at the back's a Premier League defender. Armador is it Ahmed Dozic? I think he scored in the first game against us. He was he was outstanding. McAtee, Doyle, and Burge. That's they're all Premier League oh, players they to were me. Brilliant. What yeah. a midfield that is, though. Yeah. And, and for, for Neil and Bishu to go up against the, those three, I thought they did unbelievably well. Yeah. And then up front, you know, Illiman and Dai, who's been one of the most promising players in the in the Championship this season and played international football. I think he played at the World Cup, didn't he? You know, a like, quality team. Like, and we did at periods go toe to toe with them and just fell yeah. short. And I think the quality shone yeah. through. And there's no harm in that. Like I remember feeling a little bit like this after the uh, the Norwich game at home, right at the start of the season, where it was a bit, you know, we had a bit of a ding dong with them, and then they just brought lads off the bench who who were good players, and 
sometimes you just got to hold your hands up and say we aren't competing. Yeah. But the the heart you can take from this is that this is a very young team, and next season with a good summer window. There's no reason why we can't be looked at in that vein where people can look at us and go, Sunderland have got a lot of quality players who are Premier League quality. And maybe it is a step too far for us this year. But yeah. we say this quite a lot. Other than a like a handful of games, I don't think we've been second best very often this season. Like where we've been obviously second best. Stoke, definitely. I think other than that, there's probably been a couple of games where we've been shite. You know, but other than that, we we genuinely do compete, and you know it's nice to see. And I'm sort of going off on a tangent here, but Michel, for instance, scoring the goal, and uh, I thought you had a great game on Sunday. And there's a player, right? If, if Corey Evans hadn't got the injury that he got, we might never have seen this. Sometimes with like a loss like that, opportunity arises for a player, and they step up. And I think Michu. Compared to the kid who was here in the first half, he's a, he's a different player. There was a point around Christmas time where he was still injured, but he wasn't contributing whatsoever. And I would have happily said, just let him go back to Paris, like because he's not. He, he barely played in the first half of the season, and when he did play, you know, we weren't seeing anything from him. It was and, and and it was just like I didn't really see like the point in him being here. And it's been lovely to see that he's just had an opportunity and he's took it and he's improved. And you, you're on about there saying that he got battered and bruised. But by the time he came off the pitch, but it's that side of the game that yeah. is a really improved for him. Like I thought, Norwich, he, he put himself about brilliantly, and you look at him physically; he's like a little boy. But you know, he's he is doing his best out there to try and sort of become a more well-rounded midfield player. There was a lot of that in this game where I felt we did ourselves justice, even if uh, we came out, you know, on the other end of the result. And obviously, there's a there's a bunch of stuff to talk about, so we might as well go through some of it. Because uh, you know <laughs> we've been pretty positive since we started, but the uh, the overarching discussion point coming away from the game was the officiating. Obviously, I was at the game, so obviously I didn't hear any of the coverage on Sky of the various decisions, and it was only afterwards, really, where I felt a little bit vindicated because coming away from the ground, I was whinging about the refs and the linesmen and stuff, and then. You know, as I as I'm coming home, I'm reading the comments from Tony Mowbray, and it was interesting that their manager even stood up for us, which is refreshing because that doesn't happen very often. Where the opposition managers come out and back the other opposition manager, like in our case Mowbray, uh, when it comes to what he thinks about how the game was officiated. So, you know, we we've taught there. I think Sheffield United were the better team, but it doesn't tell the full story because. If the officials do their jobs, and we, me and you have talked about it so many times, like we, there's nothing we can do about it. The refs are fundamentally shite. The linesmen are fundamentally shite. There's just nothing we can do about it other than complain about it. But I do think that games like this, where there were probably millions of people watching it, and it shines a bit of a spotlight on, on the issue in the championship, because we've had this all season, is that because the officials are that bad, there is a real case to be made for like bringing in VAR, just because of how bad it is. And I wonder whether this game might be used as an example put forward to say, look, we need this at this level soon because they like all refs make mistakes, all linesmen make mistakes, but these are decisions that would have been referred and then would have been different. You know, you could you could say about Hume. I think with VAR, Hume probably gets sent off. I don't think it was a red card, personally. I think that's one of the ones the ref got right. But I think with VAR... He probably gets sent off, and I wonder if their manager would have agreed with that. 
There's the the handball, which uh, I think came at nil nil twenty minutes or so into the game, where we pump the ball into the box. Danny Bart heads it across box. Sander Berger's got his hands up in the air. It definitely strikes his arm. All of our players appeal it. The referee waves it away. At nil nil, that's a penalty. We potentially score. That's one nil to us. And obviously after that, there was a bunch of other contentious stuff. I think there was a couple of other sort of half chances, calls for penalties and stuff. And the second yeah. goal, the second goal from Sheffield United, which is a blatant offside, which the linesman's looking right across. The players are in patting on the ball, even though they don't touch it, they are involved. And that's how we lose the game, ultimately. So the officiating generally was a big talking point coming out of this game, wasn't it? Yeah, and we've we've talked about. I mean, well, I say we've talked about it before. We talk about it every week, every game. It's you know talking about officials. Very rarely do we. I think there was one game where we didn't notice the officials, so we we actually sang his praises, and we were like absolutely brilliant because we didn't was notice. It, was a QPR away? Maybe. It was one game, or something. yeah. <laughs> because because we realised we we weren't going to talk about, it and we actually raised it just to say, oh, we didn't actually notice the referee. Yeah, you know, as far as VAR is concerned, someone raised a good point, saying that you're talking about at the end of the day a prize that's worth what is it, 150 million, 200 million, or whatever promotion mm. to the Premier League. Yeah, let's say Sheffield United pip Middlesbrough by two points. Yeah, at the end, and you look back at this decision, and Middlesbrough don't go up through the playoffs. Go back even further to the last playoff final the championship playoff final last yeah. season Huddersfield were, were genuinely robbed by decisions yeah, yeah. that would have been given by VAR so that that yeah. was a 150 pound 150 but. pound 150 <laughs> million pound game whereby you know look at Huddersfield now it it, it, it is that big really yeah, yeah. You know, but we can sit and debate say, VAR all day but what I would say about VAR in the, in the championship is I can kind of see why it's difficult for them to manage and, and do it in the in the championship because you've got a such a a wide variety of clubs of different financial well, stature. I, I, see, I did think that, but in, they do it in Scotland in the top division and there's clubs in there who are like League Two clubs, really, and they've got VAR. Ah, but I, th- I think in Scotland it's it's as much of a PR thing because if you know they don't want to be seen as a Mickey Mouse league if if they don't Possibly. have VAR in, in the top division. Shows it can be done though, you know. Shows it can be done. It's it's true. It does show that it can be done, but. There's a, I think there's as much of PR in Scotland and just kind of throwing money at it to make sure it's done. But in the championship, I mean, let's say, you know, you get a really small side getting promoted from League One and, you know, does it, can you actually do it, logistics of it? But then where do you draw the line? Because League One will say, well, hang on, the championship's got it. And if the if the Football League is a collective, then they'll probably turn around and say, well, if the championship has it, then League One and League Two has to have it. And then it's finding funds to do that. So I think there is a lot to be discussed on that. Don't disagree with you. I mean, last night it would have... You know, actually, I think it would have been we would have lost some and won some on VAR <laughs> against mm. against Sheffield United. All, all I want to see is a game fairly officiated. I, I, yeah, but you're not going to get that if we lose some decisions. VAR isn't going to change games that. And, but I know, I know what you're saying. It VAR isn't flawless. But I mean, when, I'm not. To be honest, I'm not just talking about this game specifically. I feel like this after most games. I'm just like God Almighty. <laughs> these are such obvious calls that, like, I don't know. I I, I could. I, we could sit and debate it all night, but I just think. There's maybe a case for it, regardless of this game. I think you know, speak to any fan of any championship club, and they're probably just as pissed off as we are about oh, well, like generally officiating. Well, what you said about Heckenbottom last night, I think his reaction to, to to almost say, "Oh well, you know," when he saw when he saw the video back when they were interviewing after the game, and he saw, "Yeah, we got away with one," then and he's laughing because he's probably seen so many other ridiculous decisions, and even though yeah. Sheffield United are doing well, they're, they're probably. Lots have gone against them. 
but they're, they're good enough to kind of come out and win the game. But, you know, sometimes you're just left scratching your head, but VAR isn't going to change the flow of the game and the decisions within the game because sometimes we're, we're scratching our heads about free kick after free kick after free kick, and VAR can't change that. They can catch the big ones, like the offside. Yeah. Can't c- catch the just general crap officiating through the 90 minutes, which which no. we see all the time. And there was one last night, there was a perfect example where there was a there was a shove off kind of almost off the ball when they were chasing for the ball. And a few minutes earlier, the ref didn't give it. Two minutes later, a Sheffield United player goes down to free kick. Exactly the same situation, exactly the same push. And one minute they give it, one that's the stuff you just can't you can't legislate for with VER. It's just gonna happen. I mean, what we've realised these last few years, League One, and then everyone thought it was going to change in the championship, and it hasn't. The level, the standard of refereeing in this country is fundamentally crap. And there needs to be an overhaul of how that's done. And, and they've just appointed somebody, the head of the Referees Association. I can't actually remember off the top, top of my head who it is, but um, they've just appointed Howard someone Howard Webb, there. wasn't it? I think. It was at Howard Webb, was it? Yeah. It rings a bell. But, um, but he's got a hell of a job on his hands because if they assess everybody... In the league, I mean, every report will be coming back saying he's crap, he's crap, he's crap. Yeah. So where do they go? Yeah, uh, let's run through some of the key decisions and in a bit more detail. So the the first one, then the handball at nil nil, nineteen minutes into the game. I say handball. Do you think it was a handball? Would you have gave a penalty for that? I'm I'm leaning on the side of penalty because I'm kind of thinking that he put his hands there, thinking this might be where the ball's going to go, but the distance between the header and where he was would put that element of doubt even if it went to VAR it would be well hang on because that's the that's a discussion it's the position of the hands versus the the distance of the ball mm-hmm. and I just think where he ha- where his hands is suggests that I think he kind of meant to do it and it's probably a penalty but yeah. the element of doubt comes in because the header was so close to where his arms were yeah and the referee to me though in this situation he's about 30 yards away from where the ball is like he, <laughs> yeah. when the ball comes into the area the ref is Shock. way outside the box nowhere near the play at all that that's why he doesn't see it because he's nowhere like near the play <laughs> I don't know, you know? <laughs> don't know why you're surprised no. <laughs> you know it's just really frustrating but uh yeah so to me that's a penalty then you're thinking well there's a chance to go uh, 1-0 up but we don't get it we don't get it so there's nothing really much else to say and um, it was only a, a minute or so later the, the Trey Hume tackle slash assault <laughs> <laughs> on I think it was Jebison yeah I think do you know what it is we, me and you watched it back before before we obviously recorded and uh, pulled it back a number, number of times personally I think that it's the correct decision I'm not just saying that because he's a Sunderland player I would say that if it was the other way around as well, because I actually think we've sort of been conditioned to think that's a red card because it happens so often. And I just think sometimes, you know, you watch the way the lad got straight back up, like got on with it, played the rest of the game. And I just think, you know, yes, it was a hard tackle. It was reckless. It was a stupid tackle. Yes. But I don't think it was particularly dangerous. I just think... It probably was made to look worse than it was by the fact all of their players surrounded the ref, which is something we never do, by the way. We never do that. And I wish we would, because we maybe would get a couple of decisions our way. But they, they surround the ref. And to be fair to the ref, he went straight for the yellow card and he didn't care that they were surrounding him. And he, he kept his hand on that on that yellow card. Who was it who got sent off earlier in the season where the ref changed his he had the yellow in his hand and he changed it to a red at the stadium of light? I'm trying to think. I think it might have been I think it might have been 09 against Swansea actually. Where the ref actually had a yellow in his hand, the player, the, the opposition player, oh, surrounded him, 
So it, we've seen that this season where the refs changed his mind based on on the sort of reaction of the other players. It's a fair play to him in that situation. Like I think he, I actually think he got that right. But yeah, I mean, I'll let you have your say on it. You obviously, um, you had something to say about the the fact that he even made the tackle, didn't you? I mean, yeah, we watched it back and I, we realised that it actually came out of complete frustration for because yeah. of a minute earlier, the lad who we ended up fouling basically shoved him off the ball. And basically, he got the better of him. So Hume just saw the red mist. And, and then he saw his chance when he was going to turn on the ball. But then he flicked the ball before he kind of got there. And Hume, Hume was ready to smash him. But I think because he flicked the ball through, it made it look a lot worse because he completely missed the ball and just went through the man. And it was a ridiculous tackle. And the whole fact that it ended up being a decision for the referee, and we've talked about this before on a couple of occasions where... And I think Hume with the penalty as well, there was a few weeks back, the late penalty at Bristol City. Again, it's given the referee an opportunity to make a decision. And it, the referee, I mean, I think you're probably right. It is probably more of a yellow, but not that much. You know, it's probably 60-40, something like that. You, if you ask 10 referees, you know, probably six might give a yellow card and four might send them off. So, But what you're doing in that instance, in an area of the pitch where it makes no difference, you're giving the referee a chance to put you down to 10 men when there's no need. Similar to that 9 one I just mentioned. Yes, I was like, just about to say, yeah. there was no danger in that area of the pitch and you've got a chance to put, because we were battling and we, we needed, I mean, 10 men against Sheffield United, they would have ripped us apart. It would have been three or four, easy. But, you know, you just don't give the referees that decision. And I think you're probably right. He probably just about came out with the, the right decision, but not mm. by much. I mean, like you said, if, that, if VR had been around and they looked at it, they might have said, well, he's completely missed the ball. He's went over the top. He's caught the man. He's reckless. He's out mm. of control. It's a red card. Yeah. But yeah, just don't just don't give the referees a chance to to give those decisions because actually, more often than not, they've gone against us this season. Yeah. And then uh, a little bit against the run of play came our goal just before the half hour mark. Um, <laughs> the ball. I think. I think they we we sort of had it in the corner. Their defender tries to lump it forward. Danny Bart makes a great clearance to win the header, which falls to Dan Neal. He has a mile of space in the middle of the pitch, passes it to Barr. Uh, Gelhart pulls away a little bit, and uh, Michu then opens up and great finish across the goalkeeper into the bottom corner. First ever professional goal. Nice move. I mean, we've become accustomed to watching Sunderland play some nice stuff, but I mean, I was really happy with it just because one Barr got on the ball and got an assist. And I don't think he did a great deal in the game, but at least he's coming up with key moments. There's an assist, he got a goal on Sunday. Michu getting himself forward and and getting a goal. When Obviously, when we're lacking a striker, we need players to contribute around the pitch. So it just goes back to what I said before about his all-round game improving a little bit recently. And uh, yeah, good goal, wasn't it? And it's funny, just before I get at the goal, it's the, the statement that you're just kind of making there says a lot about our team. In four days, we've had two players who've scored their first professional goal. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> in the space of four <laughs> days. I mean, that how much does that tell you about our squad? That you know, two players. You know, and, and you're not talking defenders either. You're not talking centre halves or fullbacks either. But yeah, just go back a little bit further because you went from when Danny Bart won the ball, but Mishu made this, and it was probably I didn't see him doing or him or Dan Neil doing this in the rest of the game. Just before that, he made a run, a Belton run forward, and the ball was kind of played right into the corner for him. And he won the ball right into next to the corner flag. And he was kind of the furthest forward person at that point. And he ended up getting shrugged off the ball and losing it. And that's when they cleared it. 
but that's when Misha was in the in the corner next to the corner flag. So he was mm-hmm. way because he'd made that run. And he found himself in that position because he, he was a bit knackered after making the run and he, he didn't sprint to get back. And he was kind of in the position he was almost by accident because he yeah, made he that was, yeah. sprint <laughs> sprint forward. And then because he was there by accident, he took so long to get back on side. The Sheffield United defenders didn't even know he was there. They had no clue. He was just kind of hanging <laughs> around, kind of ju- just kind of five yards behind them. We were watching the goal back, like you said, and, and Gellar made this run and took that the centre half away that was keeping everyone on side, which meant Misha was kind of level with the rest of them, but in acres of space. And like mm. you said, Dan Neil and Barr played it. They, they were brilliant the way they got their head up and took control of the ball and made sure they found people in space. But but Misha was almost there by accident. Again, fantastic finish, you know, compl- exactly what you said. But it comes back to this risk reward of playing home and away. You know, making those runs forward because against Norwich, we could we could easily sit in, just sit in front of the back four and hope to hit them on the break and let the you know the forefront lads, whatever you you know, Bar, Gellard, Clark, Roberts, just do their thing. And Neil and Mishu just said, "We're not going anywhere. We're just going to sit in front of this back four and just protect them." Mm. But Mishu made that run. It was a little bit out of character. Um, and we got something from it because we had players forward. So when when Neil and Barr looked up, it wasn't just Gellart or Roberts and Clark sitting wide. We actually had players forward because Misha was in that forward position. They could play him in and he did the rest. But it's getting that kind of balance right between making those runs forward but not leaving us exposed at the back. Yeah. And they got the equaliser, worst possible time in injury time of the, at the end of the first half. I always think that's the worst time to concede a goal. And it came from a sloppy pass from Patrick Roberts in the middle of the pitch. He tries to sort of spread it to Jack Clark, totally under hit, crap ball, really. And all it, all it does, it catches us on the hop because everybody's out of position, really. They advance down the right. I think it is Baldock, I think. Baldock, yeah, the right back brilliant, brilliant who run. carries it, does really well. And like I say, there's just a. There's a gulf really in the middle of the park, which which they exploit, and it's McAtee who scores the goal. And to me, it was it was like sort of in that Foden Gareth Bale type mold type goal mm. where he just, I think it's all nine. In fact, can't get near him pace wise, and then just bounces off him, and he it's a lovely finish with his left foot sort of across to the bottom corner. Like at the time, I was really frustrated with with Roberts for making the mistake for the pass. But on watching it back as well, I've, you've got to give credit to McAtee. It's a fantastic finish, fantastic goal. Just a, a really bad time to concede. And we were talking about it on the way out of the ground, but like our our game management at that point, it shit like why are we why are we trying to play a pass like that in injury time at the end of the first half? Just keep the ball, see the game out till half time, you're one nil up. Instead, we're trying to break the lines and score another goal. And I'm just, that that goal is it's totally self-inflicted. If we manage the game better and we just hold the ball for a couple of minutes going into half-time, we're 1-0 up going into half-time. That's the frustration for me, is that we, you can say it's like us being a young team or whatever, but that's a ne- more experienced player who's made mm. that pass. Roberts, Roberts has been here long enough. Like you know, it's, a, it's a young kid making that mistake. And for me, that's, some, that's probably one of the biggest things missing since Corey Evans got injured, is just having that player who just tells everyone what to do in the middle of the park and slows it down and keeps it calm because that was just a, a daft goal really it was a great finish but self-inflicted for me yeah yeah you've said you've kind of said it already i mean just absolutely ridiculous and literally the clock was ticking 45 
as yeah. he as he played the ball uh, on the on the on the TV. That that it clicked forty five when he, he almost gave gave it away, and you just thought, oh, what a time to do that! And it was just ridiculous. Absolutely no need. And this was the this was the turning point in the whole game. If we went in one nil, Tony Mowbray could have getting reorganized, maybe changed the tactics a little bit. You know, you know, almost kind of dug in. You know, get the three points and all this sort of stuff. But you go in at one one. And then you kind of starting all over again to try and get a goal in the second half, and you you kind of you almost kind of just resetting and going the same because you have to try and push on and get a goal. But we've done the hard work, and then just to blow it like that in forty five minutes. I mean, look, Patrick Roberts, he'll need nobody to tell him, you know, what we're saying. He'll be fully aware of, you know, that decision making and all this sort of stuff. It does it does tie in with a lot of decisions we've made this season in game management. And again, you you go back to the squad being young. But Patrick Roberts, he knows better than that. And he could have just turned around and kept the ball. But it felt like we were going to catch him on the break. And to be fair, if he did play that ball well, like we know he can, Clark was in. So, mm. you know, it's it's that it's that risk-reward. But again, when I was talking about that midfield and those midfield runs, if you watch that goal back, Roberts was trying to play that ball wide. And if you watch, Dan Neal and Mishu were both busting a gut to get forward and join the attack, both of them. Yeah. Wrong time of the game to do it. goes back to that yeah. Evans thing. Like, Evans wouldn't have done yeah. that. Yeah, if if they just sat because the ball was played out wide to Bulldog and Bulldog, because I mean, fantastic run for Bulldog. He made about thirty yards, but what he did was he didn't just make those thirty yards up. He almost ran. He beat Mishu down the right hand side, so he was in. He played the ball in behind when he played it inside. He, it was in behind Dan Neil and Mishu, yeah. so it was in the it was in between the defence and midfield because they they couldn't get back because they'd bombed on too much, and then when. When McAtee picked the ball up, his touches were brilliant, absolutely perfect. His first touch took a beyond or nine. Bart didn't know whether to commit himself, and then the finish was fantastic. All the credit goes to them taking advantage, but you can look at us. There was a lot. There was a lot of things we could have done to stop that goal. Yeah, and then the uh, the most contentious of them all, the winner. I've just been watching it back there in the background, and like it, again, it comes back to this thing about officials and stuff, like. Mistakes can be made, human errors there. But in a, at a set piece, the linesman's job is to watch the line. <laughs> he's, he's looking right along that line to make sure nobody's offside, right? So the ball comes in. Berger is a good three, four, five yards off. And he's quite clearly, he, he actually makes a motion to kick the ball. Yeah, tries to get it. Like, <laughs> just the, I mean, the, there's not really anything to discuss. It's a blatant offside. Yeah, there's no two ways about it. He doesn't yeah. have to touch the ball. He's in he's in an offside position, and he makes an attempt to kick the ball. It's an offside. So, yeah, it's just. <laughs> I mean, for Mowbray to come out after the game and criticize a referee and an official is something because he more often than not he will bite his tongue. Their manager, like you say, he even watched it back and said, "For." Oh, uh, I can't remember the exact words, but it was something like I'd be horrified or something like that if I was Tony Mowbray. And then I think um, I think it was one of the local journalists, I can't remember which one, came out after the game and said uh, that Tony Mowbray had said the officials had actually been in to apologise for that goal. Really? Yeah. I didn't I, I didn't say that one. Yeah, I think I, I've not just seen that. It was Phil Smith from, from the Sun and Echo tweeted, yeah, that Tony Mowbray had said the officials had visited him after the game to apologise for the second goal. Yeah. Just, what do you say about that? Because that's it. I mean, in that situation, even the referees, what can they say? There's no way they can turn around and say, well, we, we think we were right because of this. There's nothing about that goal that 
wasn't you know it was just offside but it wasn't it wasn't just his arm it wasn't just his leg i mean they were standing in an offside position either the linesman missed that completely which then he's completely incompetent or he he then thought the rules were that he had to make contact with it even so then he's incompetent that way so there's no way the referees and linesmen can turn around and say oh well you know he might you know there's he was onside because of this it was just it, it was just a bad call bad decision and you know the, the only really thing they could do really is apologize because they should do there's not there's nothing really much more you can say about it it was offside mm. it was given but there was kind of this arrogance though that like we went up to the referee danny bart and ballard sprinted up to the referee but it was this it's the arrogance of not saying i'm going to talk to the linesman or you know, or whatever, just to have a word and say, did you see him try and play for the ball and have a conversation and say, well, actually, because I think he was offside, but I don't know if he was close to the ball or what, whatever, even if they have that conversation. But the arrogance of just saying, no, no, it was a goal, it was a goal, and, and get them to go away. Yeah. I mean, that that's what that's what kind of pisses people off as well. But yeah, it was offside. There's <laughs> no, nothing yeah. more you can say about it, really. Yeah. Andy gave man the match on the site to Luke O'Neill and... Um... Well, we don't know the extent of his issue, but um, it didn't look good, did it, when he went off? He seemed to be um, trying to play through the pain barrier. I just hope it's all right. We'll probably find yeah. could be by the time this pod goes out that we find out what, what the issue is. Hopefully he's all right, like I say, but otherwise sour end to his performance, really, because I thought he was really good. Playing again like he was at, at Norwich, just, you know, no nonsense, great defender, passed it well out from the back. I remember earlier in the season when we were, we were talking about when he was playing in the middle at the back and we were saying that at times he was dictating the tempo and playing those like long long diagonals and yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And having him back at left back, I mean, there's certain things that he can't do that Elise did. I mean, there's you know he's not necessarily going to bomb on down the left-hand side and all that sort of stuff that Elise does. But again, he almost got back into that mode, didn't he, where he was mm. dictating how quickly we played out from the back and whether we played it in the middle or whether he... He did that, I mean, that, that early diagonal ball to Roberts was just, you know, unbelievable. But yeah, I mean, he he was fantastic. And um, yeah, I can't say I really argue. I mean, I might have, if it wasn't 9 maybe Bart or Ballard, I think they were fantastic. But just on the injury, I think the thing that I'm clinging on to was that it seemed like to be an impact injury rather than a muscle injury. And mm. usually there, people get back from those quicker than the muscle injury, so... Um, just keeping our fingers crossed because we haven't really got anyone else. Maybe Gooch at left back or or something like that. But, um, well, hope, but I, I, yeah. think, I think it'd be out for a week or two. I, I think you'd be all right. Hopefully, hopefully, like the same. We, we might know more by the time this pod drops. But um, hopefully, he's he's all right for the weekend. Which uh, segues us nicely into that. We'll quickly talk about the weekend. Luton at home, who are fourth in the table. So another easy one. Uh, won four of the last five. I can see from the form. Yeah, tough. I think, but. I don't think there's any reason why we should necessarily fear them. We've got nothing to lose at this stage. We're a massive 11 points behind them in the table. Mad, like, fair play to Luton. Like, they've, like, they, they are a club punching above their weight. Like, can you imagine Luton in the Premier League now in the, this day and age? Like, I've been to Kenilworth Road. Jesus. Yeah. I don't know how <laughs> that's. that's... Just <laughs> but, like, fair play. Fair play at them. Like, they're flying and they've got some good players. I think earlier in the season, that was one of the games where I didn't think we played particularly well. Did we draw one all down there? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Like I say, we've got nothing to fear. I'm I'm actually more optimistic coming off the back of the Sheffield United game than than pessimistic. And we're not going to give them an easy game. I think this is a different type of challenge. They aren't a footballing team necessarily. 
I think they are one who will compete with us physically, and that's where we fell down recently. So that's where I'm a little bit worried. But, you know, I just think with without any pressure really on the game, let's just attack it. Um, maybe try and learn from some of the mistakes from this one. You know, we've got to look back at the goals we conceded. Not necessarily the second one, but the first one. Like I say, I think I think you know your big takeaways are going to be game management, over committing going forward when when it's unnecessary, rash tackles in areas of pitch where you don't need to make rash tackles, that sort of thing. You know, we're not coming out with this with massive massive issues to try and fix, which you know before Norwich we did have massive issues to fix. So. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty hopeful about this one. I don't know about you, but I think that Luton are. It's going to be a hard game. Like there's a reason they're right up there. They're only a point behind Borough, so it shows how close they are. But nothing to fear from my perspective. I think they're going to be a, a tough test that we can we can at least handle for most of the game. Yeah, it's a it's a tough game, really tough game this weekend. The, the game at Luton was a strange one because, as you said, I mean, from my memories of that game, it was a proper bruising game where they were. They were just tough. They were just they had a they had a team full of just bruisers who were just tough in the tackle, and they got the ball forward quickly. You know, direct balls. They had a big fella up front who they were hitting, and they they kind of got the ball forward quickly, and it, it was just a tough game. But the thing is about Luton, why why I think it's especially going to be especially tough for us this weekend. Looking at their away form, they haven't lost away in the last five. But they don't score that many away. I mean, they've mm. scored. They don't 10 score fewer. many any at all, really. They've scored. They've no, won no. four of the last five games, one nil. But they've they've conceded the fewest away from home in the division. They've only conceded fifteen goals in eighteen games away from home. That's a and worry. Our problem at the minute is going forward. Like we actually, I mean, if you if you actually if you actually analyze the game against Sheffield United, we had the goal where Mishu was kind of in that position accidentally. He was kind of too yeah. too far forward because he made a run into the corner, and then apart from that, Hume's shot early on. And did, we, did Jack was... Clark hit the post? Or am I just making that up? Oh no! And Roberts hit the post. Yeah, Roberts, we had yeah. Clark had the shot. But you're talking like that was the sum total of ninety minutes, yeah. four four shots. And Luton are probably going to be better than Sheffield United in terms of keeping it tight at the back. Well, to be fair, Sheffield United only conceded one more goal, so. It's going to be similar, and it's whether we have that bit moment of magic like Bar produced at Norwich, or whether Mishu wanders into a in a position he's not usually in that we need to get a goal. So my my concern is us scoring at the weekend. If we score, and it, again like we did at Sheffield United, hopefully we've learned from our lessons from the Sheffield United game, and we actually manage the game a little better because. I think that Danny Bart and Ballard will have a tough game up front. It's going to be a physical encounter for them. They're going to be, it's going to be elbows flying. They're going to come out with black eyes and bust noses and all that sort of stuff. It's going to be one of them games for them. If they can keep it tight at the back and we can nick one, then I, I think it's going to be that sort of game. It's going to be a 1-0 mm-hmm. either way, I think. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm with you. Like I said, the four of their last five games have finished 1-0 to Luton. So oh, you well, can you kind of see, like, <laughs> they are the type of team we traditionally struggle against mm. but with a but with a sprinkling of quality in there as well you know they're up there for a reason what i think will help us is they're not they're not quick on the break they get the ball forward quickly but it's more direct ball they don't you know what stoke did to us four or yeah. five times where they ripped through us with kind of 10 yard passes and got yeah, through us which, that way which i don't i actually think ballard and bart can yeah. deal with that fairly well in 09 if he's playing yeah. The worry is, is who's winning the second balls in the middle of the park. That's yeah. what that this this was the complaint me and you had on these pods like a week yeah. ago. Physically competing in the middle of the park is a problem, and I, I think 
I think Michu and Neil in the last two games have improved, but this is a di- this is a totally different game. Like Luton, Luton are going to probably stick three in the middle, and they have players equipped for that kind of battle. Where I just don't know if we've got those players, and like you know, we have Luke O'Neill, obviously, but whether he's fit is another thing. So mm. you know, it's it's going to be pretty tough. And I think what Mowbray will do, he'll just do more of the same. It'll just be. Yeah, you know we'll, oh, yeah. we'll try and play football against them. For Dan Neil and Mishu, it's it's their starting positions, so they they need to learn to play as a two rather than rather than move up and down like in a two in a pair like they did when we conceded the first goal again against Sheffield United. Like they moved too, they moved too far as a pair. Yeah, right. If they kind of make that decision, right, Dan Neil's going to make that run forward. So Mishu sits in in front of the back four, and they kind yeah. of have that sort of partnership which they haven't got yet. So they keep moving up and down as a pair. Which means that when teams catch us on the break, they're in behind them with one pass. Yeah. But if if you've got one, if you've got one committing and one staying, then you know. So it's that it's it's how we're going to play that because against Norwich they were fantastic at just sitting, but at home there's more expectation on them making that charge forward and and getting making those forward runs. So they've got to got to have more of that partnership on picking and choosing when to go. Yeah. Well, we'll be back after the looting game with another pod, I'm sure. So uh, thanks, Chris. Cheers for joining us again. No bother. Always a pleasure. Uh, cheers to the listeners once again. Make sure you catch up with rotorreport.sbnation.com before and after the Luton game. We'll have some coverage probably of the Sheffield United game as well. Still sort of bleeding into that because it's been a little short period of turnaround, you know, Wednesday into Saturday. We haven't got long between the games. So, yeah, make sure you catch up with the website, all our social media channels on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube for the podcast. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back after Luton. Catch you later. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.